Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. My name is Dr. Justin Miller. I am a research fellow and social psychologist at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. On today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with Sarah Hunter-Murray, who holds a PhD in human sexuality from the University of Guelph and is a registered marriage and family therapist in private practice in Winnipeg, Manitoba. She is the author of the book, Not Always in the Mood, The New Science of Men, Sex, and Relationships. Today, we're going to be talking about sexual desire in men and what we tend to get wrong about it. A lot of people are under the impression that men's sexuality is simple. They see men as always being horny and perpetually DTF. They see men as always wanting more sex than women and sex as being this really physical experience for men having little to do with emotion. So we're going to dive into what the science really says and change the way that you think about men and sex. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So let's get to it. Hi, Sarah, and welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. Hi, Justin. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. I am so pleased to have you here. I've been following your work on Twitter for a long time and have been an avid reader of your research and your Psychology Today blog. So I'm really excited to have a chance to speak with you about it. I'm so flattered. Thank you. (laughs) So let's start by talking a little bit about your professional background first. How did you decide to go into the field of sex therapy and what are your areas of specialization? Yeah, so I, you know, approached my career as a sex researcher. I was in my master's at the University of Guelph, studying under Dr. Robin Milhausen, and I was really interested in women's sexual desire. Um, I am a cisgender woman. I was kind of curious about my experiences, my peers' experiences, and the complexities of women's sexual desire. It became clear to me over time, however, that we were talking a lot about the complexities of women's desire. We were talking about it being elusive and complex, talking about all the different factors that impact um, women's sexual desire. And as researchers, it became clear to me that we were not really talking about men's sexual desire at all. And in fact, we were making a lot of assumptions about men's desire being, you know, kind of omnipresent, dominant. Um, you know, that men were always interested in having sex, their desire was quite high. And so when it came to my dissertation, I, I thought, you know what, let's just kind of check in on this. Like, is this true? Is this fitting for men? Or perhaps do men have different experiences than what these assumptions and stereotypes tend to suggest? So that's where I got into interviewing men about their sexual desire. And the men that I interviewed, um, I just want to say off the top, You know, they are in mixed sex relationships. They identified as heterosexual. And so I was really curious about how norms and ways that men who are raised um, as men (laughs) learn about their sexuality and what happens when those men interact with women who are raised with different ideas about what their sexuality and sexual desire is supposed to look like happen when they interact with one another. So that was really my motivation to, you know, dig into this research and ultimately write this book. And so your book is all about sexual desire in men. And as you said, it focuses 
primarily on the heterosexually identified men who are partnered with women. We'll come back to sexual desire and sexual minority men a little bit later in today's podcast. But let's start by talking about just some of the things that people get wrong about men's sexuality in general. There are lots of things that I hear sex researchers say and that I hear people in the public say about men's sexuality that just don't seem to line up with the reality of what we know about men's sexual desire. And if I think back to some of the early messages that I received about this, including things that I learned in college, but also just things I've heard in the popular media, we're often led to believe that women's sexuality is really complicated and that men's is really simple. And this is often summarized in books and popular media articles where they will show like a side-by-side image of an on-off switch that represents men and this really complex switchboard with all of these buttons and dials that represents women. And, And this is sort of the way that we are taught or conditioned to think about men and women and sex and how it's just so easy and simple for men, but that's not the case for women. So What's the real story here? Is men's sexuality as simple as we've been led to believe, or it's just sort of like this on-off switch? And how should we be thinking about it instead? Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you brought up that that image of that on-off switch because I found it earlier in my my research too, and it just kind of struck me as, oh my gosh, this is just so wrong. And and so you know, the thing that I think is really important to to talk about when it comes to men's sexual desire is to just be creating more space to say, you know, where does a stereotype come from and is it applicable? So again, when I kind of dug into my research, the first thing that I, I did was interview men who are in these longer-term relationships and just ask, you know, are you always in the mood? <laughs> like, like there's this pervasive stereotype. Like, do you want to have sex anytime it's available? Like, are you always interested? Is this accurate? And the thing that I thought was really interesting is that in these interviews, men most often started by kind of almost playing into that stereotype just a little bit, you know, saying like, oh yeah, I like sex. I'm, I'm, you know, interested in, in all this. And I said, oh really? And it was like only that one small follow-up question, like, oh really? So there's never a time that you wouldn't be interested. And that's when all the more complex nuances started to come out. It might start with, well, I'm not necessarily interested if I'm tired or if I'm sick. Kind of those like really understandable reasons why we not we might not feel like sex. And then as the interviews progressed and we had more space to kind of break from those more, um, you know, stereotypical answers that we might think we should give, um, men started talking about these emotional components to their sexual desire, the vulnerable pieces, this idea of wanting to not always be dominant, the ones who initiate sex. They actually really like when they could be receptive to a female partner's sexual advances, You know, one of the things that really caught my attention is that, you know, men would talk about how, you know, their sexual desire could be visual and physical in nature. You know, maybe they like seeing their partner wear something sexy or cute, but they talked about how like that was just the surface (laughs) that, you know, that emotional connection that, you know, whether they had like an intimate conversation, whether they felt like they were on the same page as their partner, whether there was that closeness all of those things had such a deeper and more significant impact on their sexual desire than these surface level components that we tend to talk about. 
And that when they're actually having sex, that motivation or that drive to be sexually intimate isn't just about that physical release, right? It's not just about getting off. It's about having that connection. It's about feeling close and vulnerable with their partner. And it's just that we really don't talk about that part of men's sexual desire. Yeah, you mentioned so many things there that I want to dive into a little bit deeper about factors that impact men's libido or sex drive and the connection between physical intimacy and emotional intimacy. And then also that that sexual initiation piece, we're going to dive into all of those in turn. But since you talked a bit about how sex is often this very intimate and emotional experience for men or that that's something that they really want out of it. You know, that's something that I found in my own research on sexual fantasies. When I survey men and women, and also I've included gender diverse individuals in my work as well, and I find that across the board, regardless of people's gender identity, their sexual orientation, most people are fantasizing about meeting some emotional need through sex, whether that's the need to feel desired or sexually confident or competent or to feel loved or connected to another person. I find that it's actually pretty rare for people to fantasize about totally emotionless sex. So there's usually some emotional need that we're trying to meet when we're fantasizing about sex or having sex. And I think we just kind of have this tendency to get hung up on thinking about men's fantasies and the way that they approach sex, just being all about the physical pleasure and the orgasm and the release. And we tend to overlook this very deep and rich emotional subtext that underlies men's sexual desire. Do you have any other thoughts or things that you'd like to say on that issue? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, I was so excited, actually, I mean, I love your book, and I I was so excited when I got to that part, because I think, like you said, it really overlaps to say, like, all humans need that, you know, those emotional needs met. And where did we start getting this idea that sex for, you know, particularly men is supposed to be kind of cut off from those emotions? It's this really unfortunate stereotype that we hold. and, And I think it gets promoted in society in really unfortunate ways. That, you know, for men, it's just about getting off, that it's just physical, that, you know, there's not that emotional attachment. And I think it's doing men a disservice. I think it's doing their partners a disservice to ignore that there can be such an emotional side to it. And like you said, you know, whether it's feeling an increase in confidence, whether it's feeling wanted, whether it's feeling desired, I mean, these are key human experiences. And, you know, sex offers such a beautiful opportunity to lean into these things versus kind of, you know, put up these walls and and not, you know, be able to experience them or acknowledge how important it is to experience those emotions on top of physical pleasure, right? It doesn't have to be one or the other. I mean, it can be a nice blend of the two. Yeah, and I think it's also worth mentioning that this drive to meet emotional needs through sex is is something that we see not just in committed romantic relationships, but we also see it in casual sex too, where when people are surveyed about what they want out of casual sex, they're often looking for some degree of intimacy as well. And that's true across gender. And 
this intimacy can take a lot of different forms, whether it's post-sex cuddling or spending the night or gazing into each other's eyes during sex. There, there's usually some emotional, intimate connection that is present or that people want, even in casual sex. So, you know, again, it just speaks to that important overlap between how sex is a way that people are meeting a physical need or desire, right? They're, they're getting some physical pleasure release out of it, but they're also getting this emotional need being met at the same time. That's not to say that people can't have sex purely for, for pleasure and, and sort of physical reasons, just that oftentimes, more often than not, I would argue, those things tend to intersect and overlap. And yeah, I completely agree with you. And I think it's about giving permission and space to acknowledge these other parts, right? It's to say it can be anything that you like sex can be what you want it to be. And as long as you and partner partners are all on board on what that is, then we're all good. But what we just don't talk about is that emotional connection as much. And in therapy, what I find is really interesting. And, you know, I, I think it can have like occur for, you know, any relationship structure, but I'll talk specifically for a moment about the dynamics between men and women is, you know, I don't think we give men enough space to say, you know, that maybe sex for them could be more than just that physical pleasure. And I see a lot of benefits that can happen when I ask men, you know, what are you getting from sex? Like, what are your motivations here? And hearing them be able to kind of explore like that intimacy, that wanting to feel closer, that way of kind of making a relationship feel different than other relationships in their in their lives. And for women, you know, specifically to hear their male partner be able to identify that. You know, women, again, are raised with some really narrow stereotypes about what men's sexual desire looks like. And it's not uncommon for women to feel like their male partner just wants to get off or is just looking for that physical release. And it doesn't have a whole lot to do with them or their relationship. And so I've seen some really beautiful conversations come up for, for couples that I've worked with in therapy when they're able to kind of break through those stereotypes and have real like conversations about what we are getting from from sex and kind of breaking down those stereotypes. Yeah, I love everything that you said there and especially that piece about giving people permission and also allowing sex to be anything and everything you want it to be and how sometimes when you have sex, you might be pursuing and trying to meet different sets of needs than other times that you have sex. And that is one of the beautiful things about sex is that it is adaptable and flexible to meet your needs and your partner's needs in that specific context or circumstance under which it takes place. So let's talk a little bit more about libido and sex drive in men. One thing I'm curious to hear your thoughts on is I've seen a lot of research suggesting that just men in general tend to have higher sex drives than women. And I'm curious as to whether or not you think that's true and whether that lines up with your clinical experience. But then also, what are some of the factors that can influence men's sex drive over the course of their lives? Yes, there there is. I mean, again, like as a, you know, with a background in sex research, I have read lots of studies and articles which posit that men's desire is high and that it is higher than women's. There's always this comparison that we have to make, right? It's not just that we talk about men's desire being high, constant wavering, all these things, but that it's higher than women's. And it's interesting because, you know, when we look a little bit closer at some of these studies, I think we can start kind of questioning, like, how are 
be measuring desire. And, you know, some of the studies that talk about men's desire being high, you know, look at uh, reported masturbation, reported number of sexual partners, reported frequency of sex. And we know that men are a little more likely to be given permission to talk about those things, to, you know, say that they masturbate, to say that they've had more sexual partners. And women aren't given quite amount, the same amount of space in our society to kind of describe that they also engage in those things or even permission to engage in some of those things. So what we're actually finding is as we kind of question, how did we really come to this understanding that men's desire is high? Like, are we asking the right questions? Are we, you know, playing into social desirability? We're starting to kind of see that that actually might not be so accurate. And when we look at, you know, again, a lot of my research is talking about this, you know, men and women dynamic. I know we're going to talk more about different orientations in a moment, but particularly when men and women are partnered, what we're finding is that there's almost no difference in terms of who is the more likely person to have higher sexual desire. So a study that I conducted with a colleague, uh, Krista Mark, found that about a third of the participants had a male partner with higher desire, about a third of the participants had a female partner with higher desire, and about a third of the participants had like no obvious desire discrepancies. And there are other studies that are replicating this, showing almost like a 50-50 split that, you know, we have this idea that men's desire is high, that men want sex all the time, and that men's desire is higher than their female partner's desire when they're partnered that way. But research is more and more showing that when we actually look at relationships and not just kind of general trends, those findings just aren't holding steady. I love that you also work with some of my favorite sex researcher colleagues like Kristen Mark, (laughs) who is uh, one of my current research collaborators as well. And also that I think you said your advisor was uh, Dr. Robin Milhausen. Is that right? Yes. Yes. I love, I love Dr. Robin. Like the, the sex research community is full of all of these just wonderful, amazingly smart, brilliant people. And uh, (laughs) I just like that we have a lot in common with, with who we're working with. But anyway, I appreciate everything that you said there about how when we're studying things like sex drive or libido, we need to be really careful in terms of how we define that, how we measure it. Because what we see in the studies is that different people define it and measure it in different ways. And every definition and measurement tool that you use is going to have certain strengths and limitations. And so we always have to take that into account and and try and figure out what is the best way to measure a construct like this. So let's talk a little bit about the factors that influence men's sexual desire and, and why and when it might vary over the course of a relationship or over the course of one's life. And are the factors that influence men's sexual desire the same or are there some differences in terms of the factors that affect women's sexual desire? Yeah, no, so really great questions. And I think when we talk about what factors impact men's sexual desire, like the things that show up for me in my research and my clinical practice are often in men who are over the age of 18. And a lot of my research focuses on men who are over 30. And so I think what's so important to start by talking about is that I think a lot of our stereotypes about men's desire come from thinking about men who are, you know, teens or like emerging adults. And I still want to say there's a lot of variation in men's desire, even then, you know, it's, you know, if you're, you know, 22 with low sex drive and you're a man, like that is not uncommon. You're still normal. That's okay. But I think that, you know, we have these ideas of men's sexual desire being really 
high and simplified because we're thinking a lot about men in that earlier stage where hormones are, you know, higher and kind of, you know, sex is maybe like new experience. And we just kind of stop talking after that. But most men, you know, are like above that age range and life gets so much more complicated. We get older, our, you know, testosterone levels might decrease a bit. We get into relationships and, you know, we know that relationships have a huge impact on our sex drive. We can fall into monotony and routine. We can get in arguments and fights. We can have schedules where we don't really see each other at times where our sex drive is higher. You know, maybe a partner gets up early, goes to bed late, or we like having sex on the weekends. Like there's all these factors that start kind of showing up. The other thing that's, you know, something that men have described to me over the course of my research is impacting their desire is, is stress and responsibility. And so that can be jobs and careers. That can be however much of, um, you know, making income falls on their shoulders. And it's also child rearing when applicable. I think we talk a lot about how motherhood impacts women's sexuality. And I don't think we're talking enough about how being a father and, you know, being an involved father, whether that's like more time with the kids or it's supporting, you know, outside of the house with, you know, a career. There's a lot of stresses and strains that men, um, again, over the course of my research and clinical practice will talk about, you know, there's this expectation that you're supposed to just be stoic and kind of getting your job done. But again, that's just really not leaving space for men to be humans and have that full range of, of experiences, which includes stress and worry and just responsibility and maybe not even having the, the mental space <laughs> to think about sex sometimes. Like sex is not always a stress reliever for everyone. Sometimes it's kind of that extra responsibility. Yeah. So it, it sounds like you take a similar approach to I do when I'm thinking about sexual desire, which is to view it through a, a biopsychosocial lens where you've got biological factors, psychological factors, and then sociocultural and environmental factors that all come together at the same time to influence whether we're in the mood for sex and kind of also what we want out of sex at that time. So sexual desire is something that is very complex and multifaceted, and that is true across genders and sexual orientations. And that's one of the struggles and difficulties often with treating issues of low sexual desire is figuring out what the root cause is because there are so many different things that can impact it from physical health conditions to stressors that you have going on in your life to relationship conflict. And so I, I don't envy the, the sex therapists who have to really drill down and figure out the root cause in these cases because uh, sometimes you can also have a lot of different factors contributing at the same time and it can be difficult to separate out the effects from from some of them it can be but honestly it's you know i don't know if it's rude to say but it's fun like there's so mm -hmm. stuff that impacts our sexuality and i don't think we get enough space to talk about it and i love having these conversations with any client who's sitting in my office but i get like a little bit extra you know from having these conversations with, you know, some of my, the, the men that I work with, because there's even less space to talk about those things. And sometimes just creating that space and having those conversations for the first time can just be so, um, you know, permission giving and so life changing to be able to kind of say, oh, it's okay that I sometimes feel too stressed or that I'm so, you know, bogged down with work that I don't feel like sex, but that doesn't make me less of a man, quote unquote, or that doesn't make me you know, there, there's not something wrong with me that just makes me a human. 
I love kind of digging into the weeds of, of all of this and trying to kind of get a, an answer for some of these clients that I work with. Well, we are very lucky to have you in the field and your clients are very lucky to have you as well, you know, to have somebody who is really that passionate about it and, you know, really wants to understand it and and help people. So kudos for making the right career choice for you and doing what you do to help people. So I want to talk about sexual initiation because you mentioned this a little bit earlier, and this is a topic I get a lot of questions about because there are a lot of men who feel this pressure to initiate sex, especially if they're in a heterosexual relationship and they're partnered with a woman. And they often want their female partners to initiate sex more often. And so they're kind of struggling with the right balance of how to do this in the relationship where it's sort of mutual and it's not just one-sided where one person is expected to be the initiator. So can you speak a little bit to sort of why men aren't content to just be the initiators and why they often want their partners to initiate? And then also share some tips with us on how you can deal with sexual initiation issues in a relationship. Yeah, I think this is, uh, you know, something that comes up in my work a lot too. And so I'm glad you asked about it. There is this idea like sexual scripts and, and, you know, there's sexual script theory, which suggests that men are the ones to initiate sexual activity, to push to that next level of sexual intimacy, that they're the ones who want it. And women, particularly when these mixed sex relationships are thought of as being the gatekeepers, the ones who say yes or no. And so that is, again, a stereotype, but it's a script that a lot of men and a lot of women are raised with. And so it continues to play out, you know, once we get into relationships. So there is the onus still, and I'm hearing that from a lot of men, that, you know, sexual initiation continues to fall on their shoulders, that they're the ones who are supposed to flirt with their female partner, kind of tell her that she looks pretty you know, maybe make a move, give her a kiss, give her a rub, you know, kind of suggest, are you interested in sex tonight or do whatever kind of moves to like maybe make that a possibility. We also think of, you know, men giving flowers on a date or, you know, even kind of giving rings for engagement. Like there's a lot of initiation that's coming from men here, romantic and sexual. But one of the things that really stood out to me over the course of my research is that men were talking about how they don't want to keep playing this one-sided role anymore, that it's actually a lot of responsibility on their shoulders to be the ones to initiate sexual activity all the time. And on top of it, men talked about how they actually really like to feel desired too. They don't just want to be the ones desiring their partner. They want to know that they're desirable as well, that their partner thinks they look cute, that they like that shirt they chose yesterday, you know, that they like their haircut, that their female partner in particular might approach them and give, you know, some kind of physical touch. It doesn't have to be sexual, although it certainly can be, but even romantic gestures like a rubbing someone's foot or, you know, giving a kiss on the cheek or kind of brushing their back when you pass in the kitchen. And men were really saying that this was something that they really felt like they weren't getting a lot of in their relationships, that they either weren't sure if their female partner knew that it was important or that they might like it, or if maybe she didn't feel comfortable doing that. And so it's really interesting to kind of consider how deeply ingrained some of these messages are for a lot of us. And Interestingly, in in my clinical practice, 
I work with people who can look at those messages and sexual scripts and confront them and say, you know what, that's kind of, you know, I, I don't agree with that or, or that's kind of ludicrous. And yet a week later, two weeks later, we'll all of a sudden kind of come up with, or, you know, they'll describe a dynamic in which they just played into those roles again. And so I think it really takes a lot of work to deconstruct some of these messages that it's the male pursuer of women as the responsive um, person when it comes to sex and say, why do we think it has to be that way? What is playing out that's creating that dynamic for a lot of couples? And again, these, you know, especially when men and women are partnered and saying, does it have to be that way? You asked about kind of how to start switching that dynamic. I mean, I guess the answer is kind of slowly, but I mean, at minimum, what I would recommend is we need men to be able to say, hey, this is important to me. Like if you want to also be responsive to a female partner's, you know, initiation, if you want to be not always the dominant one, not always the one suggesting, if you like when she gives romantic touch and it's not always, you know, an invitation to enter into sexual activity, I mean, there has to be a conversation where some of those norms are confronted and you are describing, this is what I want. This is what I like. And, you know, I also really love working with women to kind of step into their sexuality and consider, are you acting on your desires when you have them? Or have you been so trained to wait until he says he's interested? And I think there's a lot of really amazing work that can happen for some women if they were taught to always be responsive and waiting for a man to approach them to consider, when am I in the mood? When am I feeling like sex? What's it like for me to step into a more dominant role and reach out to my partner sometimes? So I really love kind of creating space to kind of challenge those, again, those kind of traditional or stereotypical sexual scripts, kind of walking through where they came from and questioning if they still need to be that way for us once we're in relationships. Yeah, so it sounds like when it comes to initiation, there's a lot of work that we kind of have to do on ourselves first and deconstructing some of the ideas and myths and stereotypes that we've been taught about sex just to be able to open ourselves up to the possibility of different sexual roles that we might take in our relationships at different times. And for those of you who might be looking for, you know, some practical tips on how do you initiate sex, uh, I can tell you about a study that I read recently looking at different initiation strategies and how successful they tended to be in um, people's marital relationships. And what we see is that people are kind of like all over the board in terms of how they initiate sex. Some people do it with like a direct verbal request. Other people do it by, you know, sort of walking out of the bathroom nude or wearing some sexy underwear, right? So they play with nudity and sexual cues. And then other people do, uh, you know, physical acts. Like it, it could be through kissing or touching or hand-holding. And then some people like like literally crawl on their partners and like they do other things to try and communicate their interest. And what I can tell you is that some of these cues tend to be perceived more favorably than others and are more likely to lead to sex. So the direct verbal requests, um, you know, unambiguously people understand what that is. They don't always work in the sense that both partners aren't always in the mood uh, at that same time. We do find that those who use nudity actually tend to be the most successful in terms of whether or not that actually leads to sex. But for people who are like crawling on their partner and like doing these other sorts of things, they actually 
find that that's least likely to lead to sex because it's not always perceived as an initiation attempt. And sometimes the partners perceive it to be annoying. So, you know, think about the ways that you've approached sex in the past and whether you might switch it up and try something different. And as part of that, it could also be initiating sex at different times of day because a lot of people only initiate sex at night, right before bed. And, you know, sometimes somebody's too tired or sleepy and doesn't want to do it. So maybe you try it in the morning or in the afternoon and maybe also slow play it. Like think about initiating sex as something where it's not just, I'm going to say this or do this now, and then we're going to have sex right away. You can slow play an initiation where you can build up arousal and excitement and anticipation and think about initiation and the process of it playing out over a series of hours or maybe days where you're flirting and going back and forth with each other. And the excitement and anticipation of that can actually make the sex even better in the end. So just a couple practical initiation tips for you. Anything else you'd add to that, Sarah? Oh, I love that. I'm not sure if I have more tips on how to. I mean, I think you did such a great job of summarizing some research there. The thing that I would um, say, though, is we're talking about initiating sex, but you know, comes again to complexities of men's sexual desire. We don't always have to have sex or, you know, penetration as the outcome. I mean, I think one of the things that, you know, going back to that, you know, conversation we had around emotional connection is when it came to men's descriptions of wanting to feel desired or the female partner initiating, it wasn't even that it had to be sex or it had to lead to sex. It was even just kind of switching those norms so that they felt wanted or desired. And the thing that I find happens, again, a lot in my clinical practice is I hear, you know, women sometimes worry, like, if I go over and give him a hug or a cuddle or a kiss, he's going to want to have sex. Sure, maybe that happens sometimes. I mean, it depends on the person, the partner. But again, that's also another time where we're making an assumption about, for men, any touch is like an invitation to sex. And like, there's a lot of men out there who feel that there's not enough space to just have romantic touch or sensual touch or maybe kind of what you were talking about, that slow burn, like maybe it can just be something kind of connected now and maybe it'll turn into something sexual tonight or tomorrow or next week. Um, but I think, again, we have to kind of examine those small little ways that we are making assumptions, um, you know, about even what touch has to be um, and creating more space for that romantic and sensual touch in relationships in addition to that sexual initiation. Yeah, such such an important point. So something I want to talk about next is sexual desire across men of diverse sexual orientations. You know, a lot of what we've talked about so far is about heterosexual men who are partnered with women, but what about male sexual desire among those who identify as gay, bisexual, queer, pansexual, or, or have other minority sexual identities? What do we get wrong in the ways that we think about sexual desire and sexual minority men? And for me, one thing that sort of immediately comes to mind is that, you know, people hold this idea that men are always DTF, right? They're down to fuck. And as a result, you might assume that sexual desire discrepancies are unlikely to exist in a male same-sex relationship, but that's not true. I mean, anecdotally speaking, I can't tell you how many of my gay friends have approached me to say, I'm not having sex with my partner anymore and help me fix it. And I've also heard from countless gay male readers who have said similar things. And I've seen this in the research as well, that sexual desire discrepancies often come up in male same-sex relationships. So I just wondered if you have anything that you would like to say about this, whether this is a topic you've 
dove into your uh, you've dove into in your book or if it's something you see in your clinical practice and kind of how you deal with issues in same-sex relationships compared to mixed-sex relationships? Yeah, really great question. You know, my book it does focus more on the, you know, interactions between men and women. And so whether they're heterosexual or bisexual or, or any other <laughs> orientation, but they happen to be partnered that way. So my book and my research does focus more on that dynamic. In my clinical practice, however, um, you know, I can certainly speak to, to something similar as what you're describing, that desire discrepancies are common in any relationship structure. Um, you know, in fact, the idea that we would always have this high desire and, and for men, you know, if a female is partnered with another man, say, you know, what we are always, as you say, like down to the clock, of course not, right? There's, you know, all of these factors impact all of us. And maybe some of us might, you know, describe ourselves as having higher sex drives than others. I mean, we're humans, we're on a spectrum that, you know, most likely it kind of ebbs and flows. But I think, you know, kind of challenging that for all of us, regardless of our relationship structure, is important to say there's times where we might be in the mood, times where we might not be. And it's unlikely that we're going to feel interested in sex at the exact same moment as a partner all the time. Desire discrepancies are one of the most common things that show up in any relationship. The other thing I'll just say about it is what I've argued with even my focus being more on heterosexual men is we really haven't given a lot of space to deconstruct men's sexual desire in general. And I think we are really due to have a more thoughtful research being done on men who are of various sexual orientations and minorities to say what is going on? You know, have we taken the time to adequately ask those questions and include, you know, men of diverse backgrounds? And I I would say at this point, not enough. That's something that I've got, uh, I'm trying to get in the works. We're trying to get a study up and running to include more diverse sexual backgrounds to see where is there overlap or where might there be differences. But I think we sometimes have to question why is there a lack of research on these topics and what assumptions are we making as researchers and as a society as to why that's not being um, not being given the, the focus that it deserves. Yeah, and I think it, it's so important that we study men of diverse sexualities and the different pressures that they face because the norms are different in different communities of men. I mean, for example, if you look at the gay male community, men who have sex with men, casual sex is widely accepted and really common and something that I find that a lot of gay, bi, and other men who have sex with men struggle with is it's easy to find sex, but it's really hard to find a relationship. And that intimate connection that they're looking for, you know, is something that a lot of them really seem to struggle with. And it ties in a lot with what you've been talking about earlier in the podcast about heterosexual men struggling to meet those needs for intimacy and feeling desired and wanted and all of that. But I'm seeing the same thing in in sexual minority men, where there's this craving and yearning for something more than just sex. And that a lot of them are really struggling to, to find that and balance that. Is that something that you've seen or noticed as well? Yeah. And and I mean, I think um, there's also certain dynamics, like we were a little bit more aware of different pressures or importance that's placed on, you know, appearances too. So when I think about these findings about desirability, you know, where, what does that look like for someone who identifies as heterosexual versus, you know, gay, bisexual, queer men, you know, how important is feeling desire? Does that look any different? 
I think there's a, a lot of work that we can do in this area to better understand uh, men of all sexual orientations. And I'm, I'm really hoping to be able to dig into that and, and speak to more, you know, empirical findings, hopefully not too far down the road. Yes, me too. So thank you so much for this wonderful conversation. It was really a pleasure to have you here and dive into this topic and expose some myths and misconceptions that don't often get talked about. So can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about your work and get a copy of your book? Oh, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It was also a pleasure talking to you. Um, my name is Sarah Hunter Murray. Um, you can find me at sarahhuntermurray.com. I'm also on Twitter at Sex Doctor Sarah. And my book is Not Always in the Mood The New Science of Men, Sex, and Relationships. And you can buy it anywhere that you buy your books. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, I encourage you to check out Not Always in the Mood. So thank you to my listeners for being with me today. And thank you, Sarah, for your time and your valuable insights. I really appreciate having you here. To keep up with the new episodes of the podcast, you can visit my website, Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the podcast. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want, which does a lot of work exploring the science of men's sexual desire and makes a great companion read to Sarah's book, Not Always in the Mood. Thank you again for listening. Until next time.